Sometimes we need to just stop, don't we, and uh, reflect or just to focus our attention on the Lord. Especially, it's great that it's such a busy, a busy morning because there's much things going on and um, there's lots to be involved with. And if you're interested in getting involved in the cafe, volunteering, um, the more the merrier. Um, and um, there will be training and we want to do this well. So... Um, um, you know, it's something that would be really good to get involved in. And so there's lots to do. If you want to get involved, you can speak to Tim or Angela or Anna, which is here. They're the uh, key people. Or Bev, of course. Um, they're, they're involved the most at the moment. So um, but there's lots of opportunity. Anyway. Um, series. Um, for those who don't know, we're in a series called Know Your God, and we're looking at the names of God. And we uh, take these names out of the Bible, and they're names that God has given himself, and they are declarations of his character, and of his faithfulness, and of his promise toward us. And this morning, we, um, our name is Jehovah um, Sikenu, I think that's the way you say it, or the Lord our righteousness. And this comes from Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 5 and 6. And this is uh, in this time where God was judging the nation because they would not obey him. And they were sinning here, there and everywhere. And God judged them and said that from the north, um, a, an army will come and, and destroy them and take them into captivity. And that's what Jeremiah is about. And Around about the, the end of the first part of Jeremiah, around 23, we hear this wonderful promise. And in Jeremiah, interestingly, you see these messianic prophecies, these prophecies about Jesus. And this is one of them. And it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which we will be, he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And this promise of God relates to our salvation. And um, I always like to think, and, um, and I don't, it's always good for us to be presented with the question, when we talk about salvation, what are we saved from? Or who are we saved from? Some might say we're saved from our sins. And there's a measure of truth in that. There are some that say we're saved from the devil and maybe there's something in there. But actually the truth is we are saved from God. We are saved from the judgment of God against sinful mankind. And so this is a crucial question um, because we as people born into this world cannot stand before a righteous God. We will be judged because we are unrighteous. That's why we need salvation. That's why we need to be saved. And we need to be saved because we cannot save ourselves. Interestingly, um, although it was Halloween on the 31st of October, um, five, it was the 500 years anniversary when Martin Luther, who was a, uh, a monk at the time, um, nailed his 95 theses, theses, not theses. <laughs> oh, stop me. 
I'm from South East London. We don't do THs very well. <laughs> to the door of a German church. Move on. And um, eight, where he, these 95 criticisms of the Catholic Church. Some of them were to do with the fact that you could buy your way out of um, purgatory and all these kind of things. You can buy someone else out. But one of the crucial things that came out of that is what they call the, the uh, Reformation or the Protestant Reformation. Now, we don't go by the term a Protestant church, but we come through that um, stream of thought and understanding biblically, um, and the reason they're called Protestants is because they protested against the Catholic uh, theology, and um, uh, particularly. And the crucial thing that, that Luther brought and that we have in our understanding of God was that we are made righteous by faith alone. The crucial, fundamental building block of our theology. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. And this started back with Jeremiah, where Jeremiah said, Christ, or Jesus, or God, is my, our righteousness. It is not by the works that I do or how good I am. Um, well, Jana's been watching this program on Netflix called The Good Place. Has anyone seen it? Yeah? Um, it's like a comedy, and basically, uh, um, th this is the idea, and this is the secular idea of the Christian faith. All right? You talk to, I talk to many people, and this is a secular idea. Uh, um, when you die, you go to the good place or the bad place. If you have enough good points, you go to the good place. If you don't, you go to the bad place. And this story that you might want to watch, I, I, you know, um, is about a woman who goes to the wrong place. She should have gone to the bad place, but she's in the good place. And it's all about how can she stay in a good place? She's got to do lots of really good things to build up points to get in the good place. And that often is the understanding that even maybe people that sit in these seats have about salvation. Are you good enough to be saved? Are you good enough so you go to church, you're, you're nice to your neighbours, you don't swear... Um, you don't watch 18 films, you don't go down the pub, you don't drink alcohol, you don't do all these various things in order to create enough points to get to the good place. And that can be our understanding. It can be our understanding in churches like us, even though we come from the Protestant tradition or we come from the theology that says we are righteous by believing and trusting and relying on Christ, not our own merit. So, what are we saved from? We're saved from God, and our salvation comes from God. So this morning, um, as time allows, I want us to turn, if you've got your Bibles, to chapter 3 of Romans, because if we're going to understand what Christ has done in being our righteousness, Romans chapter 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7 are, and 8 are great expositions about how it all works, what it all means. Why does Christ, God, have to be our righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous? So when I say about being righteous or when the Bible talks about there are none righteous, the righteous, you could use the word innocent or blameless. There is none innocent but God. There's none righteous but God. There's none who can live and stand in the correct 
right moral standard that is equal to God's moral standard. None. And so we look at this in chapter 3. And so we're going to show the verses up and Dave's going to just take us through each verse and I'm just going to comment on it and then we'll we're see, we're see what happens. Um, so chapter 3, verse 9. Let's start from the very beginning. Uh, or verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So let's keep this simple. If you think that by your own merit that you are good enough to stand before God, it is not true. There is none righteous, not one. And then it goes on, no one understands, no one seeks for God. And then verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law was brought in to, by Moses, um, Moses, which if you might know the Ten Commandments, was written on tablets of stone, brought to the children of Israel, and you can read this in, in uh, the first five books of the Bible, that God brought a law and said, this is how you need to live. If you are going to be my people, you must live like this. This was the law. And it goes on when we think about um, this moral standard of living that God brought this law as it says in here in verse 19, it says, whatever the law says, it speaks under the law. Every mouth may be stopped. The whole world may be held accountable to God. So if we are going to stand before God as righteous, we need to be able to have um, kept the whole law. If you broke even the tiniest bit of the law, you are unrighteous. So the whole law has to be kept but it even goes, if you go back in chapter 2, I don't know if it's, you've got it, Dave, but don't worry if not. But in, in verse 12, it says, For all have, who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles or non-Jews who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Right, are you following this? So, in other words, the Jews had the law. They had the written code. This is what you need to do. They could turn to their Bible and say, I know what I need to do. There were many others who didn't have this. And this is who we're talking about. They didn't have the law, but what they did still counted, was still judged. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So as non-Jews... I think most of us, I don't know if you're Jewish, but we who do not live under the law, we have known, have you known those times when your conscience tells you what you're doing is wrong? You might stand in a, in a, in a judgment at some point and you know you're wrong because the law of God is written on our hearts. Therefore, it says earlier on in Romans, there is, no one is going to have an excuse when they stand before God. Even look, as we heard this morning prayed, you look at creation. You can read this in Romans. 
There is none without excuse. We all have to abide by the law of God, whether it was delivered by Moses or whether it's written in our consciences. So verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified or made righteous in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know when you say to your child, you are not allowed to do that, something in them wants to do it. Yeah? That's what happened to Adam, the first man. God said, you can eat of everything in the, tree of the, uh, in the uh, Garden of Eden except for that one tree. And what did they do? They ate from the one tree. And what they didn't know, it happened to me on Thursday night, the youth were doing something for um, a Faith Not Fear party and, and I saw some really nice chocolate on the side and I thought, they won't mind missing a bit of that. I had a bit of that and then it was like, oh, it burnt my throat. <laughs> I, I felt like someone was strangling me. But there you go. You think it looks good, but then you have it and you realise you're dying. And so no person can be saved who follow the law. It couldn't bring salvation to anyone. It couldn't bring salvation to the Jews. The Jews cannot live by the law. It is an impossibility because there's none righteous, no, not one. And the context of chapter three earlier on is there's no difference between Jew or Greek on this matter or Jew and Gentile. In verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, but now a real possibility of being righteous before God has been presented to us. It's not found in the law. This is what he means. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction between Jew or Gentile or whatever, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, verse 22, back to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ who believe. They're the only righteousness that we can have to stand before God and enter into heaven is if it is the righteousness of God. We can't get it by the law. We can't get it by doing good. We can only have it if it is given to us by God. And this is what this verse means here. The righteousness of God through faith. Faith is the noun form of the verb believe. Believe means to trust and rely on. And we'll talk a bit later that the, um, James talks about that there is some form of belief where someone may believe that God exists. He says the devils believe and tremble. It's not that kind of belief. It is the trusting and relying on God. If you are a believer this morning, it's because you are day by day, everything in your life, you are trusting and relying on God. And so how do we know and appropriate, I think is the word, to own this righteousness of God is by trusting in him through faith alone. And this is, we're now walking into territory where it wasn't just Luther and the Catholics at the time that have this big debate. Even now within the Protestant kind of um, mindset, you can go down this road or that way. What does this mean? What does that mean? But the fact that remains is, is that there is a way. 
that we can be righteous before God. And it's if you're willing to trust Jesus and rely on him to save you. And who is this for? It says here. The righteousness of God comes through faith for all who believe. It is not for all. It is for all who believe. There are some that say that when Jesus died on the cross, everyone, whether they believe or not, is saved. That's not true. It's for all who believe. There are long words for that. Universalism, I think, is the word, if you want to look it up. But it's not true. It's for those who believe, for those who will trust and rely on the Lord for their salvation, for their day-to-day living, for their mindset, for their body, for their everything. So we're going forth. Verse 24. So all have sinned, and are justified or made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Um, Again, a lot of words in there. The redemption, the buying back. Jesus, when he went to the cross, was like purchasing me, my soul from the from sin, if you like, or from the devil. He paid the price for me. He bought me out of slavery. He redeemed me. Yeah, all these kind of words. Essentially means when Jesus went to the cross, and this is this other word, propitiation. It took me a while to be able to pronounce that. It means this. It means that Christ took my place and the wrath of God was diverted onto Christ away from me. That's what a propitiation is. It is Christ took my place on the cross. The wrath of God that was due me went on to him and he suffered for me so I didn't have to suffer. So this wonderful gift is available to all who believe. Okay? I know this is a bit of learning but we're we're all in this, aren't we? Yeah? Amen? This is fundamental stuff. If we don't understand this, then we are on shaky ground. So we've got to learn these things, haven't we? So the the righteous God is a grace gift. It is not by my merit. I do not earn that gift. It ceases to be a gift if I have to earn it. It is purely by me saying, Lord, I believe. I'm going to trust you. Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you wash away my uncleanness? I receive the gift of your righteousness. It's a wonderful picture. Um, So in order for us to be declared righteous in God's sight, someone has to take the the guilt. Imagine the courtroom this morning. Um, Here I am. uh, Now let me me, me use Daniel instead. Daniel is the defendant. He is guilty. He knows he's guilty. The evidence is stacked up against him. He is guilty. And I am the judge. If I am a righteous judge, as God is a righteous God, let me look at this verse. Um, It comes up a bit later. In verse 26, it, it says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so he might be just and the justifier 
of the one who has faith in Jesus. Two things. He has to be just and he wants to justify. As a judge, let's say I'm God in this situation, I must be just. Someone must pay for the crime. I cannot just say you're innocent without the crime being paid for. I would be an unjust judge. I will become unrighteous, and God cannot be unrighteous. So I must be the just and the justifier. So I say to Daniel, I say, Daniel, your sin I credit onto Christ. I count it on Christ. And Christ, or God's righteousness, I credit to your account. And I declare you justified. And Daniel goes free. And Jesus goes, as it says in, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He takes my sin, and there's another word for you, imputed. My sin is imputed onto Christ, and his righteousness is imputed onto Daniel. If you like words, you can write it down. It means credited, accounted. In other words, it's a legal term, it's a legal declaration that Daniel is righteous because he has the righteousness of God has been credited to his account. It's a legal declaration. So when someone comes along and says, oh, but look at your life. We'll get to this in a minute, but look at your life. You say, but I'm legally justified. I'm legally. So if you go to court of law and you win that, or you walk away uh, free from that court, you know that you are free. No one can touch you. No one can come along and say, yeah, but look at the evidence. Look at the evidence of Daniel's life. Look at the sin that he's done. Say, so, but legally in the court of God's law, I have been made righteous. Remember that word means innocent. No one can point a finger at Daniel anymore. No court of law can come and bring these things up against Daniel because God, the just God, has credited his righteousness to Daniel. So we enter this arrangement through faith. In verse 27, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but the law of faith. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Yeah, we are justified by believing, trusting, relying on God, not by fulfilling the law, by doing the works of the law. Now we're getting to this a bit later when we talk about actions, but this is an important point. As soon as we start thinking that we have to be doing all the law and uh, our merit comes from how well we're doing the law and that that equals whether I am saved, we are lost. But this justification comes only by faith. Paul then gives a, a case study in chapter 4, verse uh, 1 to 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, 
but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was imputed to him as righteousness. It was credited to his account. He believed God. A bit later on, you can look in this same uh, few verses. And David is another case study. So uh, it might sound like I'm laboring the point, but I'm just going through chapter three. This is a fundamental thing we need to believe in, is that we are standing before God by grace through faith alone. It's not because you are good enough. It's not because of your background. It's not because you've never sworn in your life. Or it's not because of all these kind of things. It's not because of anything. It's purely because you believed on the Lord and he credited that faith as righteousness to your account. I stand at rest this morning. I know myself. I know my nature. But I stand at rest because my entrance into the kingdom of God, into heaven, is dependent on God, not me. Amen? Amen. And this is the wonderful thing. See, when Jeremiah brought this name... He used this interesting term, didn't he? If you remember, he said, I will raise up for David, from the line of David, a righteous branch. There is none righteous but God. But nevertheless, Jeremiah says, a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king. There was no kings reigning from when uh, the children of Israel were taken away into captivity. Uh, so the next person that came along was Jesus. So we see this as a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of Jesus to come, who was this righteous branch. And this is where we carry on through Romans. Um, it's 12 o'clock, but we're doing great. I know you're saying, keep going, John. Um, chapter, uh, um, chapter 5 of Romans, verse 12. And here we, here really what I want to do here is show you that what Jeremiah said has happened in Christ. And here it is very clearly. And I did have a slide, but it didn't show very well on the screen. So um, let's get our heads in this. And this is a wonderful comparison. Think about this new branch. And often that word was used as a new way, a righteous way, often representing Christ in the Scriptures. A new way comes in. So remember when we, when we said that if we was to live by our merit through um, as human beings, according to the law, we would be lost. But a new way has opened up, righteousness from God. Remember those two things. So here we see in chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So this is Adam. Adam sinned, and we inherit his sin. <clears throat> Again, you can... There's lots of debates about what all this means, but we inherit the condition of being of having sin which causes us to sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. When Adam sinned, we died, spiritually dead, eventually physically dead, we see sin reigning in our bodies. We cannot stop ourselves sinning. We are at loss because although the reason we can't be righteous is because sin in us makes us be unrighteous. We cannot, death reigns. 
It says, <clears throat> but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now I want you to imagine there are two branches. There is the branch of Adam of which uh, people grow off. We grow off the branch of Adam. And then there is the branch of Jesus of which people grow off. Um, and they become like a branch. You become like that which it grows. If you're under or living according to Adam, you will be like Adam. If you are living according to Christ, you'll be like Christ. And these are the big differences. So on the one hand, sin reigns, death reigns. On the other hand, the free gift, the grace of God, the gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounds for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. This is verse 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. In Adam, he sinned and the whole human race was condemned. I wonder whether you, whether by memory or by experience, understand what it means to feel condemnation about your actions or even about yourself, where you feel condemned. Whereas in Christ, again, if you read Romans 8, this is wonderful. In Christ, it says, um, the free gift of God following many sins, not Christ's sins, but my sins. I don't know how many sins you've counted. I don't know how bad you think of yourself being, but through many trespasses, the free gift brings justification. Just if I'd, just if I'd never sinned. Righteousness. For if by one man's trespass, sin, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. See the difference. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, i.e. the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. You might say he's repeating himself. That's a, that's a technical thing, saying this is really important. It goes on. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, obedience to go to the cross, that many will be made righteous. It says so in verse 21, so sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. In this branch through Adam, death, condemnation, judgment, in this branch through Christ, grace, free gift, life, eternal life. The question for us is, where are you? Where are you? Where do you put your faith? Because if you put your faith in your own merit, if you put your faith in your own abilities and in your own goodness, in your self-righteousness, then you are of the line of Adam. And that line is a line of death, condemnation and judgment. But when you put yourself in that place where you say, I, I realise my own sinfulness, but I stand in the line of Christ. By his grace, I am believing and trusting and relying on him for my righteousness. And in that, I find righteousness, I find 
peace, I find grace, I find life, I find eternal life. Amen? Amen. We're nearly there. It's getting even, it's getting even better. We're getting into other things. So is this faith a one-off decision or is it a continuous place of believing? The Bible talks about uh, things, uses terms like walk in the Spirit. Or 1 John says, and you could go into 1 John, he talks about when you walk in the light as he is in the light, um, uh, his blood cleanses us from all sin. If you're walking in the light as he is in the light, why do you need to be cleansed? Question for you for later. Because we have to keep walking with Jesus. Faith is not a one-off decision where one day because you was at a camp or you came to a meeting or because you was in a life group or whatever that you made a decision to follow Jesus. Um, there are many people that believe this incorrect theology that because Christ has given me his righteousness, I can go away and I can sin, do whatever I want, I can live my life for myself, I can be in absolute sinfulness and because I know that when I stand for God, he won't see any of that sin, he just sees Christ. And that's a misunderstanding of this. And I'm going to tell you why that's a misunderstanding. Romans 6, if we were to carry on, in the first verse of Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, verse 2. How can we who die to sin still live in it? 1 John 3, 9 to 10. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, what he means is this. He means not that we may stumble at times through our weakness. The early bit of John says, um, let's, let's look at it. 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He goes on, um, or before that. No, we won't go into that, otherwise I'll get distracted. Let's go back to 1 John 3, verse 19. So we're talking about someone who says they can go on sinning and God doesn't mind. Right? That's wrong. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Okay? So we have been credited righteousness to account. I am in a right standing before God. And that is called justification. The next big word is the word regeneration. And that means that when God makes us, declares us righteous, he also fills us with his Holy Spirit and regenerates us and brings us alive. We are born again, regenerated, empowered, for the first time in our life, we have power over sin. We now have a choice. And so John says, as you walk in the light, blah, 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 
if we sin. We have a choice, if, not when, not because you. Regeneration, the next word is sanctification, the process by which God makes us like him. And the last word, if you're interested in this, comes from Romans 8, is glorification, where God has perfected us. And that we won't, I don't believe we have that this side of heaven. But God is making us like him. If someone continues in sin, if there is not the practice of righteousness, I would, I tell you something, I would say that there probably is not righteousness of God in the first place. Now, some people go into all sorts of things. Are we saved forever and all this? Can we lose our salvation? I think they're the wrong questions. The, the right questions are this. Have you believed on Jesus for your righteousness? Have you received his Holy Spirit? And do you want to live for him? Do you love him? Are you in it for yourself? James says in 2 verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, if it does not have an outworking, it's dead. I think it was Calvin who said this, or the Calvinists say this. We are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. I quite like that. In other words, as James said, if, you, if you're saying to me you're a Christian, show me. Show me. You know, this, uh, this <clears throat> how can we, filled with God, not show forth God? How can we, filled with the righteousness, the righteous God in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, carry on sinning? The very thing that Christ came to destroy, that took Jesus to the cross. Now, I know my own weaknesses, as I'm sure you know yours, but there are things that God takes us through he knocks off the sharp edges. He changes us. He makes us like himself. He takes us through challenging, difficult uh, situations in order to refine us. And Paul the Apostle would say in his letters, he said, he said I'm, I'm earnest until Christ is formed in you. This process of sanctification. So I'm saying this because um, it's important that we understand that those things, that this practice of righteousness is an outworking that of the righteousness of God, not a means towards the righteousness of God. Yeah? So let me say that again a different way. I work out, the Philippians, work out your salvation, work out your righteousness given by grace through faith from God with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is a byproduct of the righteousness of God and it is acts of righteousness. I'm telling you, if, if I can't see or if you can't see in your life the practice of righteousness, go back to that point where you ask God for forgiveness, believe on him for his righteousness, be filled with the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, you will be changed. There's no room for sin in our lives. There's no room for sin. But when we, if we sin, as John says, we have an advocate. We can go to God and he is gracious to forgive us, picks us up, brushes us off and says, keep going, keep going. So I want to ask you this morning as we close, where are you finding 
Where are you putting your faith? Is it in Adam? Is it in yourself? Or is it in God? And faith is the ongoing, I'm trusting and relying on Jesus. Will you come and make me like you? I'm so blessed, really, to, to be able to say, I know, I know my, as I say, I know my weaknesses, and the Lord knows my weaknesses, and I know he's working on me in those weaknesses. That doesn't mean that I'm sinning every moment of the day. I think it's hard for a Christian to sin. To sin. It's not easy. It's hard because the Spirit's in us. Shall we pray? Amen. Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful gospel that says it is not by my own merit, by my self-righteousness or by my own works that gain salvation. But Lord, I can come, I can repent of my sin, I can ask you to forgive me, to wash it all away, Lord, and for me to be able to say, Lord, I'm believing you for my righteousness. And Lord, and you say, Amen. The provision's there in Christ, that all who believe, Lord, will have this wonderful gift. Lord, will you help us to believe in these days? Help maybe some here this morning that if this is new to them, if it's fresh, Lord, or whether it's revealing some uh, works, legalism, or stuff in our lives, Lord, will you help them to lay it all down and trust you, Lord, and to allow you to work through us, bringing forth the fruit of righteousness. Lord, we want to be a church that's founded on this wonderful gospel. So will you help us to believe it, to understand it, and to be able to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.